welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee story. We are so happy you joined us today. Listeners all around the world, we have such a fun show today. We're talking about unique places to trek and enjoy coffee. And before we introduce our wonderful guests, we have our Anikona Farm moment. I think the big news is that at Anikona Farm, we've been really paying attention to the volcanic activity. And recently, there's been a decrease in activity. And Hawaiian Volcano Observatory has been giving us reports that the volcano that we've had erupting since May 3rd, so that's about three months, is starting to calm and decrease its activity. Now, what this means, we're not quite sure, but we're having fewer earthquakes and a lot less volcanic ash in the air. There's still some flow and some flow into the ocean. And so they're just keeping a very close eye on what's going on. But I thought I'd share with you because I often get questions about how is Kilauea Volcano doing and how is that impacting the island? So the seismic activity right now is low and we'll just keep just sort of on top of how that's going. So that's a little bit about the news at Anikona Farm. Let's talk about unique places to trek and enjoy coffee with our wonderful guests, Robert Roselle and Patricia McDermott Roselle. They are the owners of Quality Media Resources. Since 1992, they've been producing over 50 award-winning videos that are educational and training videos. Now they spend a lot of their time in the mountains and trekking in the Cascades in Washington and Europe and Asia and Africa, and we are so happy they're joining us today. Welcome, Robert and Pat, to My Favorite Coffee Story. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're delighted to be here. Oh, we're so excited to learn more about all your trekking and your fun adventures, and, and we would love to share with our listeners a little bit more about your growing up days. And I know that Robert grew up in Montreal and, and Pat, you grew up in New York City. Please share a little bit about your growing up days. Well, um, New York City, uh, I grew up on Staten Island. I'm the one of uh, six kids, the fifth in line. And uh, we had a wonderful time growing up on Staten Island and then moved to the Hudson Valley. And uh, it was it was a pretty uh, nice childhood. And uh, my siblings and I got along pretty well and kind of survived our childhood, I think, with uh, a great sense of humor. <laughs> well, that that sounds like a lot of fun with with six kids. That's um, there's always, I'm sure, a lot of activity going on. And Robert, please share about your times in Montreal. Well, my, Montreal was a great place to grow up, in part because it's culturally so rich. You know, you have uh, the the strong influence, uh, the Quebecois influence, the French uh, influence, which really is the dominant culture. 
Um, and it's also English Canada and has the, those elements and you have a little bit of the whole British thing that Canadians are attached to and the, cl- the proximity to the U.S. And it's, um, you know, there's uh, people from all over the world. It's a cosmopolitan area. So for a kid growing up uh, the, in a bilingual, culturally, culturally rich environment, it was just, it was a great place to be. Oh, so it sounds like that. And and Pat, how did you end up transitioning from New York City, then going to university in Colorado? Well, um, my last two years of high school, I uh, went to a boarding school in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, and actually did some quite a bit of hiking there. And uh, my art teacher and his wife. Uh, took another art student and myself and, uh, you know, mentioned to us when we were thinking about colleges that uh, if you're not sure what you want to study, but you want to go to college in a beautiful part of the country, uh, the University of Colorado in Boulder is just stunning. So we all took a field trip up there and uh, that was the only school I applied to. And fortunately, I got in. And that is a beautiful part of the country. And how did you end up studying? Were you involved in studying art or art history by chance at the University of Colorado? Right. I, you know, first I was a studio arts major and uh, really ended up enjoying my art history classes. Um, really, really much more than the studio classes. So um, I decided that would be my major. And then my last semester, uh, there was a really wonderful program through um, Boston College in Florence and Venice, Italy. So that's kind of how I finished up my, my studies in art history and then had, you know, the best friend come over to Europe and we backed backpacked around for four more months. So it was a wonderful way to, to finish up um, my program. And you probably had some favorite coffee stories while you were there in Italy and enjoying that good coffee there. Please share with us perhaps how you were introduced to some of that great Italian coffee. Well, you know, the, the coffee itself was wonderful. But then I really got an appreciation for the coffee culture that that's how people started their days either you know um in some little cafe you know kind of collecting their thoughts and getting ready before their day and um it was it was really a nice way to to start your day and then after the program when uh, um my friend came over and we had these 40 pound backpacks <laughs> <laughs> we joked about there was no putting those things on until we had had two or three cappuccinos and <laughs> a significant amount of caffeine in our system <laughs> to put, you know, to get started. So uh, it became a wonderful uh, way to start our day. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Pat. And now, Robert, you ended up going to university there in Ontario and then later to McGill in Montreal. And then, of course, you ventured even to the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and you were involved in theater directing. How did you navigate your university days, Robert, and what you were really interested in pursuing? Well, you can see by the the wiggly course that I (laughs) followed that the navigation was was sort of a... a, um, 
a, a, a blundering around process a little bit. You know, I, I, um, I studied uh, political science, sociology, education. I ended up teaching for a while up in Montreal, uh, mostly because I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, you know. And so, um, but through that, I, I had also had a background in theater. I, I was a child actor in uh, Montreal um, for a number of years growing up and then um, came back to it as a young adult uh, and started directing and really liked that. And so that's what took me down to USC. A fellow named John Hausman was setting up a program, a uh, master's uh, program there for, uh, uh, that was similar to one he'd set up at Juilliard before. Um, and uh, I went down and was uh, fortunate to be selected as the director, the student director in that program. And that's what got me down there. Oh, that's really interesting. And I can imagine that that was a really good fit for you, Robert. And while you were there in Los Angeles, it sounds like then Pat ended up in Los Angeles as well, being a director at an art gallery. How did you meet each other in Los Angeles, Pat and Robert? Well, you know, shortly after I moved to L.A., uh, the owner of the art gallery was also from Montreal. And he knew Robert, and uh, the owner named Roger invited me um, with his wife to attend this opening of this uh, Canadian film festival that was taking place in Santa Monica. And uh, the opening night, you know, he said, well, why don't you come with us? And, uh, you know, I'd only been in uh, California a couple of weeks. And I said, no, you know, I'll be the third wheel. And he was like, well, so what? Come on. And so he ran into Robert in the lobby of this uh, Canadian film festival and asked, was he there with anyone? And Robert said, no. At and that point, I'll jump in and say, and then okay. he said, okay, I'm going to do you a really big favor. And, and <laughs> so I ended up sitting with them and that's how we met and we've been together ever since. Four months later, we were engaged. A year after that, we got married. And then a year after that, we decided that LA was not a great place to, to have a, a family and uh, do the things we wanted to do. And we, we also really wanted to be somewhere up in the mountains and near large bodies of water. And so that took with us up. seasons, a place with seasons yeah, too. Yeah, and so that took us up here to the Pacific Northwest. To Seattle, and you've been there ever since, and that's where you started your family. And you also were introduced to the coffee culture there in the Pacific Northwest and in Seattle. And it sounds like maybe that's when Robert took a little bit of a liking to coffee. Please share with us. <laughs> Well, that's true. I, I was, I was, uh, uh, I, I, my personality was fairly caffeinated uh, growing up, and so <laughs> I, I always kind of felt coffee was redundant. But then I got up here, and uh, you know, the coffee shops and the coffee culture is very embedded uh, in this area, probably because of the winters and the sort of dreariness and stuff. It kind of helps give everybody a lift during that time of the year. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, then I kind of got into it. And then with our work, as uh, we were in production, we start, Pat and I started a company uh, up here doing um, uh, video production. And, and so we'd be early mornings and, you know, meeting with the cast and crew. And um, that was just how everybody kicked it off, you know, and it was fun and it would energize and it was social and everybody would be able to uh, 
you know, it, 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 you meet over a cup of coffee in the morning. It's like meeting over, you know, a drink of something else in the evening. It's, a, it's an opportunity for people just to relax together and get started. It's a great way to start out the day. And when you started Quality Media Resources, or QMR as you call it, in 1992, it sounds like that was the perfect way to bring all of your talents together. It was creative. You were able to produce these award-winning programs and videos in, in the 25 years that you've been doing it. And also you've helped organizations really develop respectful workplace relationships with your videos. Please share with us, what are your favorite parts of putting those videos together? Mm. Well, you know, Aniko, all of it. Yes. Uh, you know, all of it. Each part is, is, is fun. And that's what we really liked about it. Pat and I wanted to work together. Uh, we're both creative people. Um, you know, she had a, a arts management background. I had the, the theater and the directing and working with actors background and the writing. And so we kind of, was, it was a good match of our, our skill set and strengths. And, um, and so every piece of it, the, the scripting, you know, I, I would first draft it, Pat would fix it. She'd make it more, make it funnier. And, you know, <laughs> we kind of, we'd kind of uh, play together with it. And then when we got into the actual production, that was always fun because you got to work with the actors and, and some really uh, excellent um, uh, you know, uh, cinematographers and, and crew. And um, the editing was fun to do because you really, that's where you really piece it all together and you, you, you lay the layers together and you bring in the music and all that. So it really, every step along the way was just fun. And, and it was rewarding. A lot of times we'd get phone calls from someone who had purchased a program and said, you know, I love your such and such program uh, on leadership skills. Um, do you have anything on harassment prevention or diversity or you know because our our programs usually had a certain um, type and look about them and so if they liked one of our programs oftentimes they very much like some of our other ones so so that was rewarding to get those kind of that kind of feedback and those those kind of phone calls from some of our customers absolutely and your programs have been used by over 50 15,000 organizations in over 14 countries and university business schools will even use your programs as part of their ethics courses and you've had most Fortune 500 companies use your your videos and your programs as well as U.S. government, all branches of military. So I think that's been just so exciting how that's all turned out. Not to mention, I think it's wonderful how when you embarked on that, you were really trying to come up with a business. It was kind of a home-based business, so it sounded like you could spend time with the kids and and also still do some of your hiking and and be able to partake in the kids' schools. So it sounds like that worked out really well. Yeah, it, we, were very for, we were very fortunate, Aniko, because we were able to balance, um, you know, a lot of different elements in our lives. And by making it a kind of a virtual company, it, the, the product was very real. Uh, the content was very real. The um, reach uh, has been real. You know, it, it, they were widely used by really some, you know, really wonderful, very large organizations all, all over the world. But, um, but our, our, the impact on our time 
wasn't overwhelming. So we were able to still, you know, go to school and run the arts program for the kids in elementary school, you know, or, yes. or uh, you know, run the, the Cub Scout program or, or, you know, do those things. And so we, were, we, we didn't feel we lost out on, uh, on really the most important parts of our life because we were, um, because of our professional lives. Absolutely. And Pat and Robert, before we go to break, we have a minute. I'd love to share with our listeners that you have been hiking most of your lives, whether it's in California or Arizona and Colorado and Canada. And then in 1998, there was there was something that happened where you ended up trying a climb. Please share with us in just a few seconds, like what was that that really helped you feel that you love mountaineering and you love higher altitude trekking? Well, you know, it, it actually caught us by surprise. We were at one of our, our, we were at our son's auction and an auction item went up for a mountain climb up uh, to Camp Muir, the 10,000 foot level of Mount Rainier. And that just sounded wonderful. And we talked the other couple at our table into going with us and we arranged to do it in August and it was snowing so hard we couldn't see we could barely see 10 feet of us and it turned into the first of many adventures so it was wonderful it was great oh well we can't wait to hear more about your adventures right after the break so listeners please join us we're talking with Robert Roselle and Patricia McDermott Roselle who are the owners of Quality Media Resources and we're going to come back right after the break and talk about All the things that they do to kind of train for a trek and some of the fun things that they've experienced while they've been trekking and enjoying a good cup of coffee. Please join us right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We're talking about unique places to trek and enjoy coffee with Robert Roselle and Patricia McDermott Roselle. And they're the owners of Quality Media Resources. They produce award-winning videos, educational and training videos. And now they spend most of their time in the mountains and trekking all around the world. And we had just asked Pat and Robert about their early days and how they had started their company, their video producing company. And we were just chatting about one of the initial climbs or treks that they had experienced as a result of winning an auction item in 1998 and how they got hooked on mountaineering and higher altitude trekking. So since 2003, Robert has been leading a stretch group at a health club and sort of they prepare, this group gets together and they actually train and they are called well, the Breakfast Club are the Breakfast Tears, and they hike and climb together. So, Robert and Pat, please share with us a little bit about the group that you get together with on a regular basis to plan for treks. Sure. There's, there are actually two groups. So, there's the stretch group, and then out of that, some of the folks wanted oh, to start yes. uh, hiking, and then the Breakfast Club kind of grew out of that. And the Breakfast Club is called the Breakfast Club for an obvious reason. We want we reward ourselves after, we hike twice a week in, in, the, in the Cascade Mountains, and uh, usually to a mountain top somewhere in uh, the nearby Cascades. And then uh, after we get down, we go to a, a diner and we have a, a, a breakfast and a lot of coffee and celebrate the, uh, the climb. Um, and, and how how do those climbs usually go, Robert and Pat? Oops, we haven't lost anybody yet, so so far they're pretty <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, they it's fun, you know. It's um, uh, it, it we're we're it's an older group as we are. We're it's an older uh, de- demographic of hikers, climbers. Uh, everybody in the group has a lot of mountain experience. Uh, these are folks who've who've hiked and climbed all over the world, um, but get together here now at this stage in our lives for um, a good mountain workout, get out in the forest, get out on a mountaintop, um, you know, sweat for four, six, eight hours uh, going up and down a, a mountain and then um, and then celebrate. And there's, there's an age range of about 20 years from the youngest to the oldest. And the oldest guy, Paul, is a former NASA engineer. And, you know, to, to sort of sum up Paul's personality, on his 80th birthday, he went bungee jumping in, <laughs> in New <laughs> Zealand. Zealand. Yeah. So uh, he's a fabulous guy in fabulous shape, and everybody has a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, it's, our, it's, it's our goal, all of us, to end up like Paul. Oh. To, be, 
to be 80 years old and still climbing mountains and and and, and he swims and, and he bikes, bikes and he reads five yeah. books a week yeah, and nothing for him to do a 50 mile bike ride in a, in a day i mean it's just remarkable and that that's that's kind of the you know it's the fun of of having a group of people who just love to get out into nature and uh and for men it's a little unusual to have a kind of bonding experience like that with on a regular basis a group of people you're really have grown close to. Yes. Um, Pat, one of the, Pat's one of the few women on that comes with us. She's kind of a, our token den mother or something, but she she does, she is actually out hikes anybody in the group as well. So uh, nobody, uh, there's never any resistance to having Pat on the, on the hike. But, but, but oftentimes someone will, you know, once in a while either bring their wife or a guest that's visiting in town. And, and that's always fun yeah. too. Yeah. And, you have such an amazing team, and I can imagine when you're up there on the mountaintop, I know you've been training quite a bit there in the Cascade Mountains where that's in uh, Washington State. What do you feel when you all make it up to that mountaintop? What, what's that feeling, please? Well, uh, n- normally it's just excitement and a good sense of, of accomplishment and a little euphoria, depending on how hard the hike was and how high we went. With this last week, we climbed a mountain called Silver Peak in the, at the Snoqualmie Pass um, area of the uh, Cascades. And there, what we felt was was a little intimidation because we got to the top of the mountain and it was completely covered with the, this, these uh, just an, an array of bees and bugs and flies. Oh and, and I mean, the top of the mountain was moving with all these bugs. It, it was almost comical, the volume of bugs flying around and biting <laughs> You know? So we got there was a little saddle. There, the peak consists of two two uh, knolls, two granite knolls with a little saddle between them. And we we tucked ourselves into the saddle, and the bugs seemed to not be too concerned about us when we were down there. So we were able to still celebrate, have a have a, a you know a, a good a good laugh about it all, and enjoy <laughs> and, and head cool, head back right, and then cool head, off the mountain and then head yeah. down fast for our for our breakfast and coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what adventures you have. I I think it's incredible that for Pat's 50th birthday in 2007, you decided to plan and climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, also with your two kids. Please share with us how you decided to do that and how you planned for that. You know, that was a trip we had talked about for a couple of years, and Right. Usually the, the climb of Kilimanjaro is usually packaged, packaged with a safari afterwards. And Ryan was on board all the way, our son, and our daughter Shannon, she wanted to do the safari but wasn't quite sure um, about the climb because it was over 19,000 feet and it would be very, very challenging and there was four months of training. But, you know, once she got on board... Our little 100-pound weakling, you know, would come home and say, Mom, look at my calves. Look at my muscles, you know. And uh, it turned out to be what they call the best family vacation we've ever had. The climb was challenging, but very rewarding. And then the safari was like a separate vacation and uh, just beautiful in terms of, you know, the wildlife we saw and stuff. So, so really, you know, there isn't a day that goes by that we don't all think about that trip, you know, and how wonderful it was. Now, Ryan had his 15th birthday at 15,000 feet. It was really just a, 
a great kind of moment for him. And I think for both of the kids, it really, you know, we had taken them hiking since they were little, uh, taking them up into the local mountains and taking them doing stuff and a little bit of camping and getting them used to being out in the, in the outdoors and, and, and enjoying that. Yeah. But this was really the transition one. You know, they were teenagers at this point and they were, uh, you know, figuring themselves out and, and, and thinking about what, <laughs> or feeling out what their kind of adult they were going to end up being. And, right. Uh, they both ended up just really falling in love with being in the mountains and hiking, and they both have continued to do that. So it's been a, um, I think it, it set them both in a really wonderful direction for, for the rest of their lives. It's wonderful how you've shared this as a family and all those incredible memories, and and you've you've been trekking ever since all around the world. It seems like your most recent trip was the one Tour de Mont Blanc in 2016. And I think it's incredible that you covered 110 miles in 10 days and uh, I think a 25,000-foot elevation gain, which is just amazing. Please tell us about that trek. Well, well, that was, you know, in terms of beauty, that was absolutely stunning. Every day, the views were just phenomenal. And it was it was very hard, and I think that's why it was so rewarding. Was because you know by day three, you know at home here in the Cascades, we can um, hike a, a high peak, and then you come home and yes. kind of collapse and not hike again for four or five days. <laughs> there was ten days in a row. So by day three, you know you were doubting like what you had taken on, but uh, um, we got through it and. Beautiful, beautiful. The Alps were just stunning. And all these, you know, oh, gosh, I know the the little refugios we stayed at were beautiful and the food was phenomenal. And it was just incredible from the first to the last. Yeah, that does sound amazing. And how did you train for that? Were those cascade hikes and the, the keeping in shape in the gym and and getting used to your pack and, and all that and the elevation, is that how you train for the Mont Blanc? That, that's, yeah, we kind of do it for, for, for all the hikes. You know, we've been up in the, in the Himalayas too and the, the process is pretty much the same. Because we, we hike twice a week, pretty much 52 weeks out of the year, um, we kind of feel like we're, we're, we're our, our base level of conditioning is pretty good for, for being on a mountain. Um, there's always questions as you get to higher elevations, you know, what, how that's going to impact you. But, but for, for the most part, I think we just feel we're ready to do that. And then we, we ramp it up before we do a trek like that. We ramp up, we start doing two or three and longer hikes and, and higher hikes. And we just kind of get into more of it. And then on all the days, and this is true, even when we're not in specific training, when we're, when we're not on a mountain, we, we, you know, each day we go and do a workout just to, to keep everything lubricated and working. Yes. <laughs> so, so we feel like we've got a good foundation most of the time and then build on that. It's probably about a f- four months of training for some of the longer, more challenging climbs we've had. So um, I think we, we kind of have the um, program down now. And, and we're so fortunate we live where we live. And, you know, 20 minutes, a half hour away are challenging peaks to help us get in shape. So we're lucky. 
Well, definitely. I, I know that in 2014, you had done a trek that was the the base camp near Everest in Nepal. And, and that was a really big trek. And there was a blizzard that happened when you were there. Please share about that. Yeah. So um, our original uh, pl- plan was to hike to Annapurna and do the circuit around Annapurna in Nepal. Um, and, uh, and then as we were training for that, one, our, one of our training hikes was to climb Mount Adams. And, um, and unfortunately, Pat had a, had a bad uh, incident of fall there and uh, her um, hamstring, yeah, she, the heart hamstring got torn off. And so she needed surgery and all that kind of stuff. So we had to cancel that uh, trek. But Pat is remarkable because she is in such great shape and, and, and strong. And uh, she kind of, after the surgery, went <laughs> full speed ahead as, as she does um, with the uh, rehab. And uh, the following year, we went... Um, and instead of doing Annapurna, we did a, a hike that takes you closer to Everest. Everest uh, itself was uh, closed off that summer. There had been some incidents and some uh, deaths on the mountain. And, um, but uh, Amadablam, which is actually a prettier peak, it, it's the one, there's um, Everest, Lhotse, and Amadablam are sort of three peaks that are right beside each other. And it's the one that looks most like a, like a pinnacle, like a triangle, really right. beautiful mountain anyway so we went and we did a a, a trek uh to the base camp at Amadablam uh and uh, it, was, it was phenomenal it's amazing you know you, you you go across these suspension bridges way up hundreds of feet in the air and and then as you know a um uh, yak. yeah yeah some yaks will be coming the other direction well you you know the yaks win so you back up <laughs> back off that bridge let the yaks go by and then you you started again it's just it was just a, a cultural and physical uh and visual treat and how do you how do you do your food and and how are you able to do your breakfasts when you're would you're doing these treks you stay in tea houses and 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 places like that and they feed you really quite well it's it's you know they're the, the, the food is, you know, there's a lot of dal and, and, you know, local, kind of local foods, which are very good and nutritious and stuff. And um, we, we never were hungry. I will, I, I kind of didn't answer your last question, though, about the blizzard. Oh, so, yes, please. Yeah, just, yeah, just finish that off really quickly. The, the um, so in, on a, when we were in, at the base camp, actually, we just arrived at base camp and it started to snow, which we weren't really expecting. Uh, the communications in Nepal are not great. Uh, and the word had not really come out yet that there was a huge storm coming up from India, and uh, and it hit really hard. Uh, and the area we were, they, we we turned around, went started right back down after the snow started getting heavy. Uh, but the uh, and we were fine. We were never in any, any real you know any real danger or anything. But Annapurna got where where we had originally thought we would go got hit very hard. And uh, yeah, there were 43 uh, trekkers that were, was it just trekkers or was that including the, the show and, as well? And, yes. It was uh-huh. yeah, 40, 43 people, as far as we know, were killed uh, in avalanches uh-huh. and uh, passes that were sealed off and they just got trapped and people couldn't get them out. Um, so it was, a, it was a difficult time to be in Nepal because, you know, it was, there was, people were very anxious and worried and families uh, some of the, the people that we were, uh, the Sherpas that were hiking with us and, and guiding us, uh, had family in that area, and so they were very concerned, of course, and trying to reach them. And um, yes. 
So it was a difficult time. Very difficult, and I'm just so sorry about that. Uh, you know, and these—I guess that's just part of trekking. You know, you have to keep your eye out on the weather, but sometimes it does surprise. Yeah, and I—I'm just so sorry about that. I want to also say that we're really glad, glad that Pat recovered so well from that injury and you're you're back and even better than new uh, which is good news so before we go to break I just wanted to quickly ask you you've also done some amazing hikes and and maybe in a minute you could share with us the Machu Picchu experience that you had Okay. Yeah, Machu Picchu. So we we were on a that uh, we had only been to. This was our only time that we've ever been to South America, and we'd love to go back. But this was the only time. So we went to Peru and also to Ecuador. It, um, it was a big anniversary trip. It was our thirtieth anniversary. So we were we were kind of you know it was so we we it was not a heavy hiking trip. We went up Machu Picchu and and uh, and hiked up in there and and had enjoyed the in the Inca Trail piece and and had had some fun up in that area. But it was not a we didn't do a long trek and we didn't do a hard one. It was really more of a seeing the area and seeing the ruins and and then enjoying the spiritual component of Machu yes. Picchu. There is definitely an energy and a spiritual um, element there that's that we've never experienced anywhere else. Very, very special. And then we got to go to the Galapagos in Ecuador at the same on the same trip, and we loved that too. We got to do some some snorkeling, uh, you know, with with you know sea lions and and uh, sharks and Turtle. rays and tur- giant turtles and uh, penguins, and I mean it was just phenomenal to be able to be down there and with all the wildlife. So that was a, a different kind of a, a trek. It was also really satisfying and fun. So incredible, Pat and Robert, and we can't wait to hear a little bit more about your travels and some of your upcoming travels and dreams right after the break. So listeners, please join us. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. We're here with Robert Roselle and Patricia McDermott Roselle. We're talking about trekking and enjoying coffee along the way. And some of the amazing treks that Pat and Robert have done. Oh, it's just incredible. We were sharing about the Tour de Mont Blanc and the various climbs they've done on Mount Adams at least four times in Washington and of course Mount Kilimanjaro with the whole family and that was amazing and then of course we talked a little bit about how sometimes weather can really impact a trek when they were um, at the base camp near Everest in Nepal and we were just sharing about Machu Picchu and how there is this spiritual element when one is there in that area we were trying to kind of experience that through Pat and Robert when they were when they were there so that was incredible and of course the Galapagos and seeing the Galapagos in May of 2017 we were just going to ask Pat and Robert about one of their more recent trips that was more about their travel and they went to Morocco last November I believe in 2017 and did you by chance ride camels when you were there? (laughs) <laughs> you sure did. You wouldn't want to go to Morocco and not get on a camel. You know, <laughs> uh, we were in the we were in the Sahara on the dunes, and we we did a little little hiking around the dunes. But really, it was it was just exploration. It wasn't a you know workout hiking. And uh, uh, yeah, and we stayed in a tented camp in the Sahara, and um, so beautiful, especially at sunrise and sunset, and. Also, all over, this was a surprise to me, all over the Sahara are these incredible um, artifacts and fossils. Fossils, The Sahara used to be the ocean 500 million years ago, and there are these beautiful fossils that really would just blow your mind, really. So just right out there. You just pick them up. It's extraordinary. So so that was a a lovely uh, surprise. How fascinating is that what an incredible experience you had there what was the coffee like please in morocco oh it was great the coffee's been great everywhere and different everywhere you know on kilimanjaro they had the african locally grown coffees that they grow near in tanzania that were a a strong great morning boost when you're starting up in morocco they have you know it's a stronger arabic kind of a coffee a turkish coffee kind of thing um that's it was great. Beautiful, yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah. None, none of these these daily adventures happen without wonderful coffee <laughs> to launch us into the day. Yeah. You know, it's it. And when you're going, it it just it really is a nice way to also when you're meeting other people. You know, you're talking to people wherever you happen to be, and and that's true whether you're in the Alps or you're in the Sahara. You know, you people you know get gather in locations where to start their day, and that's what. That's where yeah, they do over their coffee yeah. and breakfast. That's how you meet other travelers. It's a cultural thing as well as a as a beverage. You know, it has a true a, a connection. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
true. We were also touching earlier about how you stay healthy and in shape and you do go to the gym and you do stretching and you have your breakfast club and you get together and you do your your hikes and you have some upcoming travels planned, which are just so exciting. It, it, I guess it's next month you're planning to trek there in Italy uh, on the Dolomite Mountains. Please share about that. Uh, yep, we're excited about that. Uh, we, we we haven't been in the Dolomites before, and we're very excited to 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 give this a, a shot. We're going to uh, start off in Verona and then head up uh, into an area called Valbadia, and then trekking uh, for seven seven days, seven days in Valbadia, uh, which will be just beautiful. The, you know, the the images we've seen from that area and the descriptions are wonderful, and they have something up there. Uh, called the Via Ferrata that we're we're planning to give a try to. The Via Ferrata are fixed line um, uh, cables, metal cables from World War One, and 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 later both. You know, right. they've kind of been. Mm-hmm. It's become a thing over over time, and now they have Via Ferrata all over the world. But they started it in uh, in the Dolomites. Right. Via Ferrata means Iron Road. And oh, what you do is you you hook on. You wear a you wear a a, a belt with a harness with a, a hook and. Um, and then you, essentially, it's like doing a technical climb where you would, you know, be on ropes and and have a helmet. Here, you put on a, a hat because you're exposed, but you're you don't have to be uh, carrying hardware or setting setting that into the mountain, uh, and you don't have to be roping up in this in the way you would on a technical climb. You just hook into these via ferrata cables and away you go. And so it's a, a, a quicker, safer way to do some more exciting, adventurous kinds of hiking too. Oh, definitely. How did you find out about that? How did you find out about that? You know, actually it was from the same dad that took us oh, up yeah. Mount Rainier 20 years ago, yeah. Mark Cruz. Yeah. Okay. He Italy yeah. with his son, Daniel, and they had... Uh, Height in the Dolomites. And, they did along some, and he's a climber Parada, too. Yeah, and he was yeah. the one that, that mentioned this to us. Yeah. It sounded so exciting then and yeah. still does. Yeah. And we have some other friends who've done the, the been up in the Dolomites recently. We've actually just met a couple this last weekend to talk about it a bit, just to prepare and look at maps and, and you know, figure out some things. Talk about their experience. Yeah. yeah. Getting oh. lost. <laughs> No, that's so inspiring, and we're excited for you, and we can't wait to hear about that trip. And, of course, you're going to be meeting your son and his friend, and it sounds like you're going to be doing a little bit of hiking in eastern Germany. Please tell us about that. Well, see, that's that's part two of the same trip. So we're gonna when we're when we're when we're finished in the Dolom, uh, in the Dolomites, we're gonna uh, head down to to Venice and grab a plane to Berlin, where our son lives. And he's been there for just about four years, and um, uh, he and his girlfriend Teresa and their uh, wonderful dog Gia are going to uh, head out with us uh, east towards uh, the Czech border. And uh, there's an area in there that I'd never heard of. Uh, along the Elbe River, uh, called the uh, called Saxon Switzerland, and it's uh, it's the um, Elbe Sandstone Mountains. There's a national park up in there, and we're going to do th- three four days, I guess it is, of right. uh-huh. of hiking with them uh, up in that area. You know, when you have a, a son living that far away, we try to to see him if we can a couple of times a year. So that takes us over. Uh, to Europe, so we've made you know a fair amount of our our travel plans. Our hiking has been 
late in these last few years, uh, aimed at, at taking us closer to uh, to that part of the world so that we can uh, uh, visit him, yeah, visit him as well. Yes. Um, well, that's going to be a wonderful trip, and we wish you all the best. How do you plan your equipment? <laughs> how do you take all your equipment on the plane, and how have you sort of finessed your equipment throughout the years? You know, I, we're, we're pretty good at traveling light, and we'll either we'll both bring a duffel bag of the hiking equipment and then one small suitcase of you know, the nicer clothing to either visit Venice or, or Berlin or, or in the big cities and stuff. So um, at this point, you know, when you hike twice a week, you can pretty much put together your equipment in your sleep. You know, we'll wait till a week before to double check the weather to make sure we have the appropriate clothing in terms of warmth or rain or whatever, or micro spikes if there will be snow. But um we, we've, we've got it down, I think, in terms of, of the packing part. Yeah. Light is good, you know, because you're going to have to carry some of this stuff. So uh, for the most part, we were able to leave things at, you know, point A, do what we're going to be doing, and then come back, pick stuff up, and then, you know, go from there. So we don't have to be carrying everything with us. Uh, all the time, the and, some, week, yeah. and sometimes, like for example, when we when we were uh, doing the Tour de Mont Blanc, there was a wonderful company out of England that would actually move your duffel bag from village to village ahead. So we would leave a village in France, let's say, and let's say our next stop was in uh, Switzerland. Um, we would, you know, they would actually move the bag to the next village, and so when we got there, so we would just carry. Our day pass. Yeah, what we needed for the day, yeah. And, oh, and I see. Some extra, some clothes in case things got funny on us, so some extra food and water in case something happens, uh, you know, medical things in case of that. But, you know, so you carry your basic stuff you need to have. And then, uh, so that was very convenient to be able to do it that way. Definitely. And as you're thinking about, I know that you're planning for the Dolomites and that's going to be a wonderful trip. And when you think about your your dreams of the treks that you you have on your list as your 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 special treks coming up from Antarctica to maybe even going back to Everest, the Annapurna trek or the Patagonia area in Chile or um, maybe some of the mountains in Portugal. What's going to be next on the list? You know, we're, we're kind of flexible about that. We figured on the front end we'll do the more challenging hard hikes and then save the walks for <laughs> further on down the road when physically we're, we're, we may not be up to, you know, trekking 12 miles in high elevation and stuff. So um, I think we're kind of flexible on, on the next trip. Um, you know, we, we've got our top three or four. And um, if you're open to the force, there's, you know, someone else mentions the same trip or an opportunity presents itself and you just kind of lean in and go with that. Yeah. It's kind of nice to have, being sort of in this, uh, you know, we, we've sort of tiptoed towards retirement over the last couple of years, and, and we're sort of, uh, you know, more or less in that space, although we still have the company, but it's, but we, we're really more focused on the, on the, the, the hiking, trekking part of our lives right now. And so um, we, we 
you know, it gives you some flexibility, which is nice. And so we, we kind of uh, see what's going on in the world at the time. You know, at one point we thought we were going to go, when we went to Morocco, we were actually going to go to, to Jordan and visit Petra, which we wanted to do. Uh, and there were some things going on over there at that time that were not looking too good. So we, we decided maybe this isn't the year to do that and, and, uh, and made a change. And that's kind of, I think, how it'll yeah, go. Yeah, based on what's happening geopolitically, we'll of course. substitute one area of the world for another. But I think what Pat's point, point about, you know, um, we, we, we kind of push ourselves at the level that we're at and understand that at some point we won't be at that level. So for, for now, we're able to do a lot of interesting things that we're not going to be able to do in whatever number of years. So uh, we're going to just keep doing it as long as it feels you know, right and good. And then, and then there's lots of other things down the road that we can do that will be a little easier. Yeah, maybe we'll be bungee jumping on our 80th birthdays also. <laughs> I have no doubt. Robert and Pat, I think the adventures are just going to continue for you both. And we, we just have been so delighted that you joined us today. Your stories have been inspiring. How you have pursued your dreams and how you've trekked all around the world has been so inspiring to all of our listeners. So we really appreciate you joining us. And as we close and we have just maybe a few seconds, I'd love to ask you, please, those life lessons as you've been trekking, how would you, in a few words, share some of those life lessons? Well, you know, I think the most important thing is to keep your sense of humor because, yes. you know, disaster can strike and it can be very entertaining at times. So just, you know, keep it light and, and you know, it's the journey, not the destination. So uh, just lean into it and appreciate, you know, who's around and, and where you are in the world. And, and I'd add to that that it's all about the people. You know, when, when we're traveling, it's, you know, we, we love the mountains, we love what we see, but it's about the people that we meet along the way. It's, it's really the most important thing. And the relationships that we have, our family relationships, our, our relationship with each other, uh, and, uh, and the, you know, the friendships that we make, the, the breakfast club, our, our, our hearty breakfast years up in the yes. mountains. That's really what, that's really where the, the joy is. And that is so beautifully stated, and we appreciate you sharing that because it really does give us such inspiration. So thank you, Pat and Robert, for being with us today, talking about all the unique places to trek and enjoy coffee. So thank you again, Pat and Robert, on being on My Favorite Coffee Story today. Well, thank you for letting us share this little part of our lives. It was fun, Annika. Thank you. It was so fun. And I've just been so honored. And as Pat and Robert like to say, you know, there are a lot of amazing places to visit and a lot of wonderful coffee to to drink and foods to enjoy. And of course, people to meet and share good times with friends and family. So thank you again. And listeners, thank you for joining us. Please, you can always visit anikona.com if you'd like to have your special My Favorite Coffee Story gift. And of of course, we look forward to being together next week. In the meantime, we wish you just a wonderful, heartfelt aloha. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week 